Thank the Lord that there is something in God that corresponds to a weary heart. I'd like to draw your attention particularly to verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4 that was read this morning, where it says, we do not lose heart. Paul mentions that actually twice, the first verse as well, but here again in verse 16, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. I love the indicative tense there. It's not might be renewed day by day or should be renewed day by day, but is being renewed day by day. And thank the Lord that there is something in God that corresponds to the weary heart, that renewal is not just something that we look for, long for, and hope for. It is something that we actually receive over and over again from God. Some of you never think about losing heart. You're of a happy disposition, at, at least in public, and it's something that you never even think about it, and I hope that uh, you have enough empathy to uh, think of the rest of us. As some of you never think of losing heart, some of you think about little else. Proverbs 14:13 says, "Even in laughter, the heart can ache." The basic idea of the sermon this morning is, is this, that life is often less than easy, but God is never less than faithful. There's a frank acknowledgement in the text that life really is often less than easy, but God, two very, very significant words in the Christian vocabulary that come out of the Bible so often, but God is never less than faithful. The Apostle Paul's words are a helpful very helpful description of Christian experience of how faith works, which is a very significant question to be asking over and over again. How, how does faith work? How do these things work together in my life to actually function? And they address some very significant pastoral needs, not only in our hearts that are often weary, but also it addresses our capacity to know an awful lot about God, uh, but experience very little of God himself. And that's a dangerous capacity. We can build bookshelves in our heads for all of the knowledge that we increase in and gain about what God is like. But think of those that have to live with us. Think of those that have to work with us. Think of those that have to try to correct us. Think of those that have to try to teach us. And all of the knowledge that we have of God, we have a capacity, unfortunately, to hold that knowledge and experience very little of God himself. And so this is a regular fundamental discipline of the Christian life, the experience of God himself. Let me make a very brief note on the text itself and point something out about the way that the Apostle Paul speaks here in verse 16 when he says, so we do not lose heart. There are many commands and exhortations in the Bible, of course, but this is not one of them, actually. It's an interesting thing, and as the Apostle Paul handles the Corinthian church, and as I've, I've studied and read the epistles of the Apostle Paul, is pastoral integrity is something that I have a very deep appreciation for. But Paul does not simply say as a command, do not lose heart. It's not an exhortation or a command. He says, we do not lose heart. In other words, it's a statement. It, it's a statement of reality in the indicative. It is a declaration 
of his experience, not put into the form of an exhortation or a command. You see, a heart that is weary cannot simply be told to stop being weary. You can't simply tell a heart that is weary, stop it, don't do that, unless there is something that is greater than the heart to renew it. In fact, it's often more damaging than helpful to tell suffering people to stop suffering. You can't tell a hungry person to stop being hungry without food to drive the hunger away. You you can't simply look at clouds that are dark and say, don't be there unless there's a wind to drive them away. You can't say to darkness, stop being dark without light to make the darkness go away. You can't speak to sad and fearful people and simply say, stop it. And we risk putting an even greater burden on them of guilt and shame when we simply say, stop doing that. You can't tell the weary heart, just don't do that. Stop being weary without adding layers of guilt and shame on the things that they are already feeling the weight and burden of, unless there is something to vanquish the fear and the sadness. Unless there's something that can renew, unless there's something that that can restore. And that's that's exactly what this text is, is all about. Paul makes a statement and then he shows the path to it in his own experience, which is a wonderful thing. He's holding forth an experience of grace for his inner being that meets the needs of his weary heart when he says, when being inwardly renewed. I hope this interests you. I hope you're asking, how does this work? It's a very practical pastoral need. It's very humbling, isn't it, to stand in in the mirror sometimes and look at yourself and realize that that the things that waste us away outwardly are winning, (laughs) are, are governing or ruling in our lives. I won't go through all of the ways that that we know that. You're probably familiar with them. But it's a significant question to ask. How is the weary soul not overwhelmed by the outward things that waste away and is instead inwardly renewed? And I'm going to be going to the Psalms quite a bit today, the the prayer book of the saints. And let me begin with this one, Psalm 96, verse 6. So very, very significant on the path to renewal. This is what Psalm 96, 6 says. It says, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. It is when the weary soul finds its way into the sanctuary of God and stands in the presence of omnipotence, of mightiness, of steadfast love, and all of the beauty that that we bask in, that the soul is inwardly renewed. And something about God begins to govern us instead of all of the things about our outward circumstances. It is a marvelous mercy. And that is why all of the goal of the Christian disciplines, every time you open your Bible, every time you gather for worship, every time we do anything related to the soul, the goal is always the same to stand 
in God's sanctuary, to get into his sanctuary, to behold something of his might, something of his beauty, in order that we would be renewed, in order that we would gain strength again. Here's the main point that I would like to get across this morning from this text about about not losing heart and being inwardly renewed. That there is a functional and practical correspondence. You know what correspondence means? That there's something that, that's meeting a need. There's something that is designed in a, in a particular way in order to suit this need. And, and of course, I'm talking about the glory of God meeting our needs for us to thrive. But the glory of God is functional and practical and it corresponds. It is a glory that never fades. And I thank the Lord for that. A glory that never fades because we have hearts that are always weary. Moses in the wilderness had a weary heart. Lord, I'm sick and tired of these people. I don't want to lead them anymore. And on the mountain, he didn't pray for patience. He didn't pray for strength. He didn't pray for wisdom even. He prayed for one thing, which is the the thing in which God delivers everything to us. He prayed, Lord, I want to see your glory. And there's a very, very intentional purpose in that prayer because Moses understood that everything he needed was summed up in in the God's glory. The Apostle Paul also in this text describes himself of facing many things of perplexity and discouragement and persecution and hatred and all of these things that outwardly waste him away. And yet he describes something about the face of Jesus Christ, which is renewal. There's just something about the Christian, he says, where the veil has been removed. It's something that unbelievers cannot see without the power of the Holy Spirit. But us who are in the Lord have the veils taken away and we can see, and he uses the word glory. We see the word glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Why is that word used? Because the glory delivers to us and declares to us everything about God that corresponds to our deepest human needs. I'll speak first again to the the, the vulnerability of the soul. The soul does have a vulnerability to weariness and it is refreshing and honest that Paul addresses human hearts of having the vulnerability of weariness. You're not abnormal. You're not abnormal. You're not weak or a poor Christian or immature necessarily simply because you experience weariness. But you have to know the path to not lose heart. He doesn't portray the Christian life as easy, even while he shows the path to strength. And you might have very real experiences of what it's like, maybe not to lose heart, but to be on the brink of losing heart through those outward circumstances in life that bring you to the edge of losing heart. I didn't ask to suffer, but the Lord allowed me to suffer just a little bit a couple weeks ago. I had an abscessed tooth. And it hurt to the point where I I couldn't function for a few days. I I lost everything of my regular routines, which are so significant and important for me. 
I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't read, I couldn't exercise, I couldn't contribute at work. And it took me four or five days to get the pain under control. And I didn't lose heart, but I thought, I can see it from here. And in the midst of that, I was in my Bible reading. I read Psalm 30, verse 1. It says, I am weary, O God. I am weary and worn out. And then verse 2 in Proverbs 30 goes on to say, I'm also stupid. And the correlation of the things that we do when we are weary. Isaiah 40 says, even youth, I used to claim this verse for myself, I can't do that so well anymore. Even youth shall faint and become weary. They fall exhausted, Isaiah says, chapter 40. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew. Don't you love the shalls of Scripture? Not might renew their strength, or not should renew their strength, but will renew their strength. You see, renewal isn't something merely that we, we simply hope that God brings to us. God does bring renewal to us. They shall renew their strength for those that wait upon Him. God is so very great and so very mighty. The Bible is full of biblical examples of very honest stories of God's people losing heart. Even some of the heroes of the Bible, think of Elijah, who after Mount Carmel and his amazing feat on Mount Carmel of defeating the prophets of Baal and the revival that, that he thought possibly would follow that did not appear. Instead of the prophets of Yahweh now returning God's people to worship and there being a tremendous renewal and revival amongst God's people, God's prophets were in Jezebel's prison, his, her dungeon. And his own idea of how God should follow through on all of these miracles were shattered and he lost heart. And God met him at the cave and he restored his prophet with the reminder that, Elijah, this isn't about you. This is not the story about Elijah. This is my story. And your renewal or your, your strength is not in what you think should happen in Israel. Your renewal and strength is in one thing. And it's in me. And in my sanctuary, our sufficient might, is sufficient beauty, is a glory that will Never allow my purposes for Israel to be threatened. Jeremiah is another very, very significant hero of the Bible who also at times lost heart. He was a prophet who was a very faithful servant to God's people to speak what God wanted him to say, but you'll never guess what happened. God's people didn't hear what God wanted to say. They didn't want to hear that. And they persecuted Jeremiah. And perhaps it was when he was lowered into a well and left for dead that the substance of lamentations took root in the prophet of Jeremiah. He says, my teeth grind on gravel. My soul is bereft of peace. I've forgotten what happiness is. I say my endurance has perished. My hope from the Lord has perished. 
My soul continually remembers it, and my soul is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Do you know these words are from Lamentations chapter 3? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You see, this is what you learn in the sanctuary. This is the substance of of God's glory. It's, It's the same. It's never fading. It's always there. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. See, listening to Pastor Alistair Begg recently reminding that great is thy faithfulness is not a song, it's a text. (laughs) And the reason it's a song is because it's a text. We sing this truth wonderfully, but it's more than a song. It's God's word. Pastor Paul led the staff in some of these thoughts from Lamentations chapter three to encourage our staff to, to not lose heart Words that were very, very helpful that I hope he'll also be able to share with you someday soon. But there are others in the Bible. Job, losing heart. David, at times, you read through the Psalms, every way that you can imagine, every, every slope that the heart can slide on is described in the Psalms. And then the renewal which is the path back to God, outwardly wasting away, but inwardly being renewed. Habakkuk, Peter, all examples of people who lost heart and yet found renewal in God. Secondly, that glory is this place. I want to emphasize this this morning, that it is God himself that is the place of renewal. We don't seek renewal. We seek God. We seek the sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, the the result of being in the sanctuary is renewal. And glory, glory is not an abstract idea or a concept. It's not some airy-fairy thing that there is in God's glory the necessities. It's God's delivery of, of all that he is to show to us all of the things that that we need. And there's something in his glory that corresponds to the needs of a weary soul. So never, we must be careful never to reduce the gospel to anything less than the path into the sanctuary of God. I hope that's what what you understand the gospel to be as being the, 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 the greatest story of all of the stories that are told, all of the narratives that are, that are within the gospel and all the way that God does, to, all the things that God does to accomplish this. The greater narrative is that the gospel delivers us The curtain is down, the curtain is torn, and the gospel delivers us into the very presence of God Almighty, clean, sinless, standing with confidence, adopted as a child of God, but in his sanctuary. That's what the Christian life is. That's what the gospel is. It seems like like faith for some people is simply this. Well, God has forgiven my sins, and now God will do everything to make me happy. And you wonder why it doesn't work. 
Because we've reduced the gospel to something that is a necessity in the gospel, which is the forgiveness of sins. We must be clean to enter the sanctuary. But the forgiveness of sins is to serve the greater goal to get into the sanctuary. Jesus did indeed come as a sin-bearing lamb to cleanse all that defiles us. But that was to serve the greater purpose of Christ, which is to get us to the Father, where the glory is, to get us to the Father, where, where in that sanctuary the, the, the vocabulary Father is used to know that, that that is a place where we are safe. That is a place where we are loved. Glory declares God to us. Glory meets us. The glory of God meets us in a functional way that meets our fundamental needs of thriving. Are you thriving in the Lord? I I asked a brother in the Lord recently, I said, are you thriving in the Lord? And he thought about it for a moment. He says, I'm clinging to the Lord is what I'm doing, which is from Psalm 63. Verse 8, my soul clings to the Lord. But really, those two things go together. Cling to the Lord in order to thrive in the Lord. But our, our spiritual health, our mental health, our emotional health, our capacity for relational intimacy, for sustained relationships, depends upon our being healing, our being healed of the wounds of sin that so very deeply mar us. And there's lots of ways that we can describe the, the needs which those marring, that marring of sin creates. But let me mention just a couple. Number one, first, sin makes us feel very unsafe. That's why Adam and Eve hid. They feel very unsafe. They feel insecure. There was fearfulness in them. But sin also makes us feel unwanted. It makes us feel rejected. It makes us feel unloved. And that is so much of what the outward circumstances are. It's why the outward circumstances can waste us away. is because they threaten these very necessities of the human soul thriving. They make us feel insecure. They make us feel unwanted. But those are those two fundamental needs of the soul that we are made by God. God has designed those needs. God knows those needs. And his glory corresponds to stand in the sanctuary of his might, to behold his might and his beauty. In other words, it is a place of unthwarted omnipotence, his sanctuary is. It is a place where our soul must be and can be and will be made to feel safe. It is also a place of magnificent beauty, which is steadfast love. There's nothing more magnificently beautiful, transcendently beautiful, than the steadfast love of God. And that's what we see in his sanctuary. And that is what we need for inner renewal. We need to perpetually, constantly stand and bask in the glory of God, of his might and of his beauty that corresponds to our deepest needs for thriving. 
That is how inner renewal works. God is real. It changes everything. But that's how it changes everything. That's why it changes everything. It's because God's glory is so functional in our life. See, you can't just read your Bible and wait for God to turn the light on. He has turned the light on in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 of this same chapter that we're in, where Paul says, let light shine out of darkness. He quotes Genesis chapter 1. The the great power and authority that is demonstrated in chapter 1, that that same power that that turned the lights on in in the world that God made, that same power has turned the light on in the face of Jesus Christ. The light is on in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's such a, a significant thing to understand about our worship of Christ. Nowhere has God in a greater way demonstrated his might and his beauty than in Jesus. Let's just think of the entire scope and, and breadth of the history of the world and the, how the Bible shows all of it to be ruled and governed by God's purposes to put his son on the earth when the times were fulfilled that, that Jesus would come. God ruled over all things in order to accomplish his purpose in Christ. Nothing was thwarted. Was, was thwarted. And his steadfast love for us that our sin would be put upon him in order that we could call God our father that's why there's glory in the face of Jesus Christ and this is why Paul could put everything else in perspective to say that everything else all of our all of my troubles Yes, they perplex me. Yes, I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I'm stumbling and about to, about to plant my face, but I don't. In fact, all of my circumstances, he says, are light and momentary because everything is put into perspective through the inward renewal that he faithfully receives by God's mercy that the outward circumstances do not govern, do not rule, but there's something that rules inside that is greater. Psalm 63 that Pastor Paul read a few moments ago, let me draw their attention again to some of the words there. Of course, they're, I hope they're familiar words to where the psalmist says, I, I thirst for you. I long for you. There's a dry and weary place where I live. There's no water here. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. Not I should bless you as long as I live, or I might bless you as long as I live, but I will. I see the the surety of our blessing God is as sure as his sanctuary is full of glory. God is forever praiseworthy because there is never a moment when his sanctuary is threatened in the beauty 
and the glory that is there. And so the psalmist says, my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. You are my help under the shadow of your wings and my soul clings to you. There are a lot of disciplines in the Christian life. But there is one discipline to rule all of them. And the discipline that rules all other disciplines is that we set God as our perpetual, a continual object, as our destination. That we are on the path to God continually, to see him on the path to his sanctuary, to behold him, to stand in his presence and his glory, to bask in the light of it. That is the the one discipline that governs and rules over all of the other disciplines in the Christian life. And there are lots of ways sometimes we feel like that that things that, there's lots of scenery on the path, but the, the goal, the destination, the object never changes. There are lots of things that we go through and, and things that we experience and and there are sometimes that the, the path itself can be quite difficult. Sometimes we can't even see it. It's a, it's a faint path, we feel like, and we're being intentional and careful that we're actually on the right path. But as soon as we alter the path, and it, it can happen so easily because it still looks so pious if we're, say, we're on the path to patience. We're on the path to joy. We're trying to to get to joy. We're trying to get to peace. We're trying to get to strength. We're trying to get to perseverance. We've simply just become religious. The great object of God for us in Christ is to set the path for us to Him and all of these other things that that are the consequence of us being on that path are manifest in our lives, like peace and patience and kindness and perseverance and endurance. But the worship of God, to bring glory to God, is that he is our great object. But it's easy to lose our way, even as a church right now, Easy for us to lose our way as a, as a staff. We're, we're leading us and there's, there's lots of things. It feels like there's trees that are encroaching and, and we're almost going through a tunnel on the road of the things that, that are encroaching upon us. And of course, we talk a lot about a lot of things in the world right now. We talk about the virus. We talk about, the, about opening and things like that. But we talk more about God because God is our path to everything for wisdom, for understanding, for patience, and for kindness in the midst of it all. We do not lose heart. Though we are outwardly wasting away, we are inwardly being renewed day by day. I'd like to leave us where we began this morning from Psalm 105. Listen again to these words. Sing praises to him and tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. 
Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice and seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Would you please pray with me? Our great and mighty God, thank you for this path. I pray that your mercy and grace would sustain us on it, that you would keep us safe from all of the things that would distract us, all of the things that would detour us. And Lord, I pray that, that your renewing mercy would be evident in us. Bring us into your sanctuary to behold your glory. It is truly great. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.